This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Please, like, I, I can't go back to these places. Like, you have no idea. There was no convincing them, no matter what I said. So I just didn't trust them. It made me not trust anyone, not even my own family. Hi, I'm Rachel Hampton. And I'm Madison Malone-Kircher. You're listening to ICYMI. In case you missed it. Slate's podcast about internet culture. And today we're giving a eulogy. Time to play a dirge. And you know where you can play it? Not on the iPod, because it's dead! <laughs> All right, pod. Oh my god. On Tuesday, Apple announced that it would officially, after so many years, discontinue the iPod Touch, which is the final iPod model to be sold. Meaning, officially, other than resales, iPod is officially dead. For the Lola price of $199 while supplies last, you can, uh purchased that one final iPod. Honestly, I still remember, and I feel like I'm dating myself, I still remember around like the year that iPods got external speakers for the first time, when you could play music out loud without headphones and how revolutionary that felt. My first friend to get an iPod had the U2 one, which had the like signatures of the band inscribed on the back of the case. Oh my God. I just remember wanting one so, so badly in middle school and my parents being like, absolutely not. Those cost a gajillion dollars. (laughs) And for Valentine's Day, my family always did this cute thing where we would draw names and each make a Valentine for whoever you got. And so that year, my sister made me an iPod out of styrofoam, but did the like really brutal thing where she tracked down an Apple box. Oh my God. Wow. At first I was like, this is so sweet. And now I'm like, this is... (laughs) Honestly, shout out to your sister. That is devious. As a younger sister, I appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, farewell, iPod. We knew you well. I feel like we should shed a tear. I mean, speaking of things that we should shed a tear for. Is this really how you're going to make this this trans? Okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. Listen, it is what it is. Because on today's show, we are talking about the troubled teen industry. The TTI is a loosely connected group of teen wilderness therapy programs, therapy is in heavy quotes, and therapeutic boarding schools that play fast and furious seven with the word therapy. For many people, your introduction to these programs might have been through a celebrity like, say, Paris Hilton or Bad Baby, but the troubled teen industry has recently also been gaining a lot of exposure on TikTok, where hashtags like hashtag troubled teen industry, and hashtag breaking code silence, the latter of which is a hashtag affiliated with a nonprofit for survivors of the troubled teen industry, are going viral. Six years ago, I woke up in the hospital. It was still dark outside. Two strangers are standing over my bed. I've committed no crime, I've hurt nobody, and I am forced to comply and go with them. What I'm about to read is an excerpt from a journal entry I wrote in the second program I was held in in the troubled teen industry as a kid. Dear mom and dad, today's gone well. We're having tomato soup for lunch. I'm starting to look at the positives about not going home after you went to. 
I also am starting to recognize that everything is up in the air at this point therapeutically. They won't let you know when you're Combined, those two hashtags have over 750 million views. And for seemingly the first time, we're seeing a kind of groundswell of survivors sharing their personal experiences and insights into this dangerous industry that, well, you'll hear it straight from their mouths, does more harm than good. Later in the show, we will be talking to two of those survivors about their experiences in the troubled teen industry and why they took to TikTok to post their stories. We'll also be discussing how TikTok, an app we rather famously think tends to do more harm than good, has somehow managed to maybe get something right. We'll be back with all of that after a quick break. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7, U.S.-based, live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And we are back in the wilderness. Madison, do you feel at home here? Please don't weaponize my happy place. Like we said at the top of the show, most people, and by most people, I mean me, I will speak for myself, who don't personally know someone who has ended up in the troubled teen industry, their first kind of interaction was probably Paris Hilton detailing her experience in her 2020 documentary, The Real Paris Hilton on YouTube. We were building other camps, basically doing manual labor all day long. It was just constant yelling at, like, boot camp style. So I whispered to one of the girls, like, let's get out of here tonight. Like many of the teens who were sent away, Paris's parents, as she explains in this YouTube documentary, did so because they were concerned about her behavior. So things like staying out all night, partying in high school, drug and alcohol abuse. But what you really get from the documentary is how her parents felt this loss of control over their child. And they took extremely drastic and frankly, very expensive measures to try to force her to be compliant. There are a lot of reasons that parents take these drastic measures. Some of the ones you'll hear from some of the survivors we talked to and also some that you'll hear kind of often repeated on TikTok is things like suicidal ideation, self-harm, coming out as queer. You name pretty much any semi-rebellious teen behavior and you will find someone sent to wilderness therapy for it. In case it's not already obvious, this is going to be kind of a dark one. So if any of those things are triggering for you, um, listen with caution. Before we get too far, we're going to break down what exactly wilderness therapy is. Usual caveat that we always give, we're a half hour podcast. We can't talk about everything here because there is capital A, capital L a lot. There are thousand dollar educational consultants. There's legal kidnapping. There's cults. Wilderness quote-unquote therapy refers to these programs where teens are sent into the woods with a group of other teens and a few um, 20-somethings who are not trained in mental health uh, professions. The idea of wilderness therapy has its basis in Outward Bound, which is this outdoor education program that was founded in the 1940s in Europe that takes teens into the wild for survival training and character development. You will find a lot of people who go to Outward Bound. It kind of fits into the Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts model of 
connect children with nature and they'll find the way. You nailed it. <laughs> On my honor, I will try to find the way. <laughs> and, you know, equipping teens with the ability to find the way sounds like a really noble goal. But in the context of wilderness therapy, it becomes incredibly warped. Most kids' wilderness experience begins with being what is functionally legally kidnapped, transported anywhere from three hours away to across the country without any information given to them about where they're going. When I was awoken in the middle of the night um, by these two strangers who just, they just walked in and they were like, all right, like you can choose the easy way or the hard way. And I was like in my PJs and I was like, can I put on pants? And they were like, no. (laughs) And um, they kind of linked both of my arms. Like, so I was between them and they like took me out of my house, down the stairs, out the front door. And um, their car was parked in my driveway and they put me in the back and they were like, since you're like being so good and like not resisting, like we won't handcuff you, but like we have we're like allowed to restrain you. They started joking about how some kids they That was Kendi, a TikToker who goes by the handle at www.kendi, K-E-N-D-E-E.com. She's been posting about her experience in wilderness since 2021 on TikTok. We talked to her about what it was like to be kidnapped or quote unquote gooned as it's uh, described by people who've lived it. So these are private companies that parents hire, and they usually cost between $2,000 and $3,500 on average, according to a 2020 High Country News investigation. And that price is just from the moment of being woken up until you arrive at wilderness therapy. And after that harrowing and expensive experience, Kendi said once she arrived at camp, she had no idea how long she would be trapped there. One of like the first things that was said to me was like, hey, like how far away is that plane up in the sky? And I was like... I don't know, like, how how high do planes fly? And they were just like, no, that plane is 8 to 12 weeks away. Like, you're not going home for 8 to 12 weeks. And I was like, I was like, what? So that lack of information is supposedly intended to help them, heavy, heavy air quotes, disconnect from the outside world. What that functionally means is These kids are not allowed to know what day it is, what month it is, what time it is, where they're going. And that's not just on the transport. That is once they get to wilderness, where they're usually there for about 8 to 12 weeks. And while they're there, their communication to the outside world is severely restricted. And any communication they're allowed to send to their parents is read over by the camp. The camp is also usually telling their parents that when their children tell them that they're dirty and hungry and exhausted and have been kidnapped by two men, that is because their kids are trying to manipulate their way back home. So these parents are actively being encouraged to not believe what their children are going through or to believe that it's in their best interest. This is such a evil perversion of like fundamentally like things that are good for children developmentally, you know, unplugging, (laughs) experiencing nature. However, uh, that's nothing like what is happening in wilderness therapy. So most days we would hike. So we would wake up and we would have to take apart the whole camp. Once we like packed everything up, we would start hiking and the staff would receive coordinates from the office 
and we weren't allowed to know like what they were or how far we were going. We were just told like you follow the staff and you just hike. And then once we got to our coordinates, we would set up our new camp, which would just mean like we would gather wood for a fire um, and put out our sleeping bags in a straight line. We called it sleep line. So staff would be on either side. And that's, you know, basically it. Um, your whole day was spent hiking. and it was That was a typical day. Kendi also told us about her worst day, which happened to come the day before she ended up leaving. There was this hike. We got very, very lost. And then we just all slowly, one by one, ran out of water. And then, like, we were, like, giving each other, like, one drop. Like, oh, like, I still have this much water left. Like, let's all share it. <laughs> like, and then eventually just no one had water. And then the sun is, like, beating down on us. And we had been hiking since this before the sun rose. So, like, 4 or 5 a.m., this other girl like collapsed and started screaming and she was like, I can't see like my body's shutting down. And then I started like digging like in the sand because it felt like a little bit damp, like down, at, like the further down I would dig. And, and then like another girl started digging with me and we're like, we can just dig to water. Like, it's fine. Like we were very delusional and like crying and no tears were coming out because there was just no water in our bodies. And then I realized that I had a, raw onion like in my food bag and so I ate this raw onion like crying while I'm eating it and in the moment it was the best thing in the world and everyone else was like that's disgusting and I'm like I'm so thirsty that was just like really 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 bad and it was like I'll never forget like the feeling of like being that thirsty like I hope I never have to feel that again oh I could think about when she was telling us this is nobody period should ever be subjected to this. No child should ever have to deal with anything like this in the name of their mental health. Candy in some very twisted way was actually kind of lucky because when she was done with wilderness therapy, she was sent home. Most kids their stories don't end there. According to that same 2020 High Country News investigation, about 80% of children who go to wilderness therapy then go on to what's called a quote-unquote therapeutic boarding school. It's basically a residential treatment center. Kendi's family didn't send her to that next step because it was too expensive. According to the Envoy Group, which is an organization that's meant to help families navigate this industry, the average wilderness program costs around $30,000. And as we said, lasts about 8 to 12 weeks. Therapeutic boarding school, which is the next step, costs on average $4,500 a month for 9 to 18 months. It works out to about $40,000 to $81,000. And unlike some other traditional, real, studied (laughs) mental health services, because wilderness therapy and therapeutic boarding schools aren't considered evidence-based treatment, They are not covered by most insurance carriers. And the money isn't just coming out of parents' pockets. According to Breaking Code Silence, uh, the troubled teen industry receives just an astronomical amount of public funding, which, you know, interesting given that this is an industry that operates with little to almost no regulation. And according to Breaking Code Silence, quote, the industry's lack of transparency and quality care has resulted in sexual assault, physical and medical neglect, and bodily assault civil rights violations, hospitalizations, and hundreds of documented deaths. The long and short of that means that 
Parents are paying thousands of dollars out of pocket to subject their children to what survivors are calling abuse. That includes Daniel Stearns, a TikToker who says his parents paid over $100,000 to send him to wilderness therapy and boarding school after that. Daniel posts under the handle at Daniel the Mammal. He's an activist who says that talking about the troubled teen industry is the only way to make sure what happened to him never happens to other kids. More on that after the break. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, everybody. Hope you're enjoying today's show. If this is your first time listening, welcome. Uh, We're thrilled to have you here, and I promise it's not always this heavy. In case you missed it, yeah, I said it. Our show comes out twice a week on Wednesdays and Saturdays, so make sure you never miss an episode, like this past Wednesdays, which was an interview with the the voice of TikTok's Am I the Asshole economy. It's very fun, I promise, and only a little gross. And we're back with therapeutic boarding schools. About 80% of the kids who are going through the experience Kendi talked about in wilderness therapy they go straight into one of these boarding schools, usually without any real chance to touch down on their home life. So it's just this kind of continued onslaught of displacement. And according to survivors like Daniel, a lot of these therapeutic boarding schools function in much the same way as wilderness therapy does, as in without any real oversight. We attended school three days a week for about three hours a day. And the rest of the time that we were there, we labored, we chopped wood all day, or we would dig stumps out of the ground with little plastic shovels all day. We didn't have any maintenance. No, nobody was taming the land. It was all us. The school that Daniel went to has since been shut down, and there are allegations of abuse against its founder. But both Daniel and Kendi told us that the effects of their experiences have stayed with them. And also, there are plenty of programs, including the one Kendi went to, that are still up and running. Some people like have been reaching out to me since like I've been posting about it and they're like, I went there like more recently. I just got out of there like this year or like last year. And these are like young kids. It is still operational and I don't think it should be. But hopefully like the kids that are there now are having an easier time than I had in 2016. (laughs) Both Daniel and Kendi got out of the troubled teen industry around 2015, 2016, 2017, which is very recent. But it's even more recently that they've kind of discovered a community of other kids like them. My best friend from my school and I had made like a funny TikTok joking about some of the like weird things we saw there. And I had um, Amanda Householder, who's kind of a big name in the anti-TTI fight. She had like commented on my video, I, I see you survivor. I'm like, what is this? You know, <laughs> what does that mean? And then I looked into it and start learning and start reading. It was like, oh my God. Yeah, this is really, 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 really wrong. Like I should not have been through this. I posted like maybe two or three videos and they gained like some like minimal traction or whatever. But 
these other like survivors were reaching out to me and like following me and they were commenting like I see you survivor and I was like what does that mean like <laughs> like oh um there are more people who've experienced this that are talking about it I see you survivor is one of the most common comments you'll see on the hundreds if not thousands at this point of videos under the troubled teen industry or breaking code silence hashtag on TikTok. As we said at the top, these hashtags combined now have over 750 million views on them, and videos under the hashtags include those like Kindy's, where she reads through the records that she requested from her wilderness program. So they ask your parents to write a letter explaining how your actions impacted them, and like they have to list all the reasons why they sent you away. So I'll share that with you guys now. Driving without a license, stealing car, running away to another state, taking Ritalin, lying, posting rants online about driving recklessly, about messing up your life, about being high. That was my Finsta. I was posting on my Finsta. Hanging around more and more often with a girl who I believe is bad news slash a bad influence. Shout out Bobby. Asking to be checked into a mental hospital. I mean, I wanted help, just not this kind of help. There are videos from Paris Hilton and Bad Baby, who, if that name doesn't sound familiar, perhaps the phrase, cash me outside, will uh, <laughs> jog your memory. According to Daniel, TikTok has been a huge boon for survivors to find each other, to realize that they're not alone, and to organize for change in an industry that has largely been kept hidden from public view since its inception. I have so many opportunities that come my way because I refuse to shut up. <laughs> and that's like such a such a great feeling. And it's kind of like stick it to the man. Like they just wanted us to be so quiet and so small. And now it's like, screw you. Like we're going to talk as loud as we can until people wake up a little bit. If you haven't been listening to ICYMI for the year and change we've been going, we spend a lot of time basically shitting on TikTok as an app. Occasionally it does some good stuff, but mostly it's a true crime nightmare. And to be fair, we don't just shit on TikTok. We shit on every single social media platform because they're all run by billionaires who have no concern for public safety. We constructively criticize with years of research and experience to back us up. Which only makes the fact that we are pointing out something that is unequivocally good happening on the platform even more <laughs> incredible. But I think what's most fascinating to me, and maybe this is true for you too, Madison, but after spending so much time online, most of which were in my teen years, mostly in spaces that are dictated by teen interests, I had never really seen any real like testimony or narratives about this experience. And TikTok was one of the first places that I've seen this happen in a really kind of concerted way. In some ways, it feels like all the things that we hate TikTok for are the things that are making this specific experience go viral in a way that is objectively helpful. I'm thinking about how, for example, the TikTok algorithm loves consistency. They love a shtick. They love people who post over and over about the same thing because that's, you know, makes it easier to spot a trend, which is what these survivors are doing. So the algorithm knows knows how to build on that. There's also the fact that in a lot of my research, even in a lot of the testimony of the survivors we spoke to, yeah. most of the people in the troubled teen industry are white. And that makes sense just based on economics. It's incredibly expensive to go to these programs, be sent to these programs. Someone in the High Country News article that we mentioned, who was a counselor at one of these camps, mentioned that most of the kids that she was overseeing were from wealthy families. But 
as we know, the TikTok algorithm loves to prioritize white people staring straight to the camera. And that is a lot of what the videos are under the Trouble Teen Industry hashtag. I just keep thinking, I hope these videos land on for you pages of parents, frankly, right? Because Mm. I have zero tolerance for somebody who's trying to scare the gay out of their child. But I do believe that probably not an insignificant number of these parents sent their kids to these programs because they were genuinely afraid for their children's safety and lives and didn't know what to do. And they were lied to. They got hoodwinked too. Yeah, I mean, we didn't get into the educational consultant of it all, but a lot of parents are being told that this is what their kids need. Something that also kind of strikes me as why this is perfect for TikTok or maybe TikTok is perfect for this is that if there's one thing the Clock app loves, it's true crime. And the kind of harrowing experience that a lot of these kids have gone through presents the same I don't like the word appeal, but it's the same appeal of true crime. But for me, without any of the kind of ickiness that comes along with true crime, because it is people talking about their own experiences, choosing to share their own experiences within this industry, rather than someone who's completely divorced from the person at the heart of the story, choosing to just say, here's what I think about why Gabby Petito is in Mexico. Going through the hashtag, actually, I was thinking about West Elm Caleb, which, hear me out, just in that the similarities between each survivor telling their story are are similar, obviously, but in a way that convinces the app that this is a thing, that this is a trend, and it makes it easier to mobilize an outside audience against a thing. And in this case, that thing is um, very much justified. And I think... More than anything, hearing survivors like Kendi and Daniel talk specifically about how TikTok has been helpful to them is what has ultimately made me think, hey, maybe TikTok actually can be used for something good. Being a little kid trying to get through this, I just never, ever, ever in a million years could have even pictured other people hearing about this and like wanting to do something about it. Over the last two years, TikTok has not just been like TikTok. It's been a way to find other people and a way for other people to find their their selves as well, like through what I'm saying. And knowing that is like such a, a, a gift to me because every person that messages me, like I went through the same thing. I didn't really understand. Now I kind of get it. Every time that happens to me, it's like, it brings up the same feeling of like, like when my school got shut down and there was like some sense of justice. Once again, that was Daniel Stearns, and we want to take a moment to thank him and Kendi, who you heard from earlier in the show, for bravely sharing their stories with us. If you are a child being abused or know a child being abused, call Child Help, the National Child Abuse Hotline at 1-800-422-4453. All right, that's the episode. We will be back in your feed on Wednesday. Please subscribe. It is the best way to make sure that you never miss an episode. Please leave us a rating and review in Apple or Spotify and tell your friends about us. We'd love it if you followed us on Twitter. We are at ICYMI underscore pod. We also love when you email us, ICYMI at slate.com. We genuinely do read every DM and email, and uh, I don't know what's in the air right now. Maybe it's pollen, but all of your ideas have been excellent, so keep them coming. ICYMI is produced by Daniel Schrader, Madison Malone-Kircher, and me, 
Rachel Hampton. Alicia Montgomery is Slate's Vice President of Audio. See you online. Or in a drawer of old iPods. The TTI. Not the TI-84, which is a calculator. <laughs> and not TI. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice, all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it, and we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets.